Hello and welcome to Socially Democratic, a weekly centre-left political and cultural podcast that will delve into the progressive issues of the day and the people leading them from both home and abroad. Hello, my name is Stephen Donnelly and uh, I am the former Assistant Secretary of Victorian Labor, but now the Director of uh, Dunn Street. Um, and thanks for joining us today. This is our very first uh, podcast. Um, it's something I've been planning on doing um, since I finished up at um, Victorian Labor, uh, and I'm really excited by what we've got in store. We've got a great guest on today, um, but we'll also have some wonderful guests over the course of the coming um, months. This is going to be a weekly podcast, um, and uh, I really hope uh, you guys uh, certainly enjoy it. Please subscribe to the show um, so you can get each week's episode downloaded to your phone, whether you use Apple Podcasts or um, uh, Google Play or whatever um, type of phone you've got. Uh, just make sure you use subscribe and uh, give us a rating and leave a comment and that helps us boost um, the, uh, the, the, the listenership or on, uh, on Apple and, and, and Google and all those other things. Um, this podcast actually is presented by Dunn Street, which is my new uh, campaign agency. It's a, a modern campaign agency that's dedicated to using data-driven grassroots organising to build winning campaigns and make the world a better place. So if you're in business or in politics or you've got an issue-based organisation, uh, Dunn Street connects people that share the same values and organises them uh, to achieve common goals from the ground up. So to find out how Dunn Street can partner with you, um, hit us up at dunnstreet.com. Dot au. And don't forget to follow Socially Democratic um, through all the various social media channels uh, by actually looking up Dunn Street. Uh, Dunn Street's on uh, Facebook, on Twitter and Instagram and on LinkedIn for those people who are over 35. Uh, today we had a great guest on, Josh Burns, who is Labor's candidate running in the federal election for the uh, seat of McNamara um, and we taped this one on a Sunday afternoon and um, here is the conversation that I had with Josh today. Josh Burns, the candidate for the seat of McNamara, welcome to the podcast. Very, very good to be here, Stephen. Very pleased to be here. Uh, you're the inaugural guest, the first of hopefully many. What an honour. <laughs> oh, this is, this is going to be a long, successful show. I, I can feel it and I'm very, very pleased to be the first guest. Absolutely. I, uh, we've, you and I over the years have t- been talking about doing a podcast. Mm, I've mm. been, I wanted to get you on when I was uh, at Pot on the Hill, yeah. but I just didn't think that I could justify an hour's full of NBA talk. <laughs> I pitched it and it didn't seem to, you know. I, I also, you know, I also, um, a lot of my friends in the, in the labor movement like to give me, like to make sure that my, my ego stays within check. And I think <laughs> if I would have come on your show, I would have perhaps received too much criticism from some of my friends. So. Yes, particularly being a labor staffer. <laughs> yeah, indeed. All right. But you're not now. No, I'm not. You're running. I'm running. You're seeking public office. It's exciting. It's exciting. We, 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 there's, not many, there's not many times in your life where you truly give every ounce of what you've got into something and when you do it's bloody frightening because you put everything on the line but it's also been one of the most fulfilling and worthwhile experiences and for me to have the the privilege of being a Labor candidate to run for the federal parliament um, in a seat that matters so much um, it's it's to have the party put that faith in me and to have people put that faith in me it's it's been brilliant it's uh look I've always admired people who have put their hand up and seek public office, um, and people come to it from so many different ways. You know, there's always that traditional kind of, um, I guess, what we call the labour hack that, you know, basically since they were born, they've wanted to be a politician, you know, yeah. and you can just tell them they've done everything they need to yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, and there's others that sort of accidentally step into it. Um, did you see yourself ever putting your hand up for for elected office at any stage, or is this something that just has developed over time? I, I, honestly, it was... N- my ambitions in politics weren't so much to be, you know, to be the MP, but rather I always, I always throughout university and throughout my young adult life wanted to be involved. I wanted to have a role. I, I, I never really set out to get a particular role. It was more just to be involved in some way or another. Um, I, before politics, I worked for a publishing company and you know, it was good work. I was living a very comfortable life. I, you know, I got, got a nice salary and all of the rest of it, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And I guess the question was that I asked myself was, do I start again? And do I get involved in something where I can 
be passionate about. And the labor movement was always that that thing that I wanted to be involved in. And um, and yeah, now I've now I've got the I'm lucky enough to to be living it. You're um, contesting in the seat of McNamara, which is formerly known as Melbourne Ports, and had, has been in Labor's um, um, hands, for want of a better word, uh, since Federation. Um, and Michael Danby, um, someone you and I both know, we've both worked for Michael at some point in our lives, uh, was the former member, uh, has been there since 19, uh, 1998. 98, yeah, 21 years. Yeah, long time. Yeah, um, Michael's a... Those who know Michael, incredibly colourful character, certainly controversial at times. Um, but what kind of legacy does he leave behind? I think Michael's one of the unique people in Parliament where he he genuinely is a person of principle, where he has um, he is a, a true social democrat, where he um, you know he he is an old school Labor person, and um, in some ways has never. I think one of the things that Michael leaves behind is is one of the few people. Um, who really are the antithesis, the complete opposite of what we're seeing in politics right now um, around, you know, around especially with tr- the rise of Trump and a ri- the rise of the populist movement across the world and the Western, Western world. Michael is not that person. Michael um, is, is a person where he will stand up for principle and, f- and fight on the principle of issues regardless of, <laughs> of <laughs> how popular or unpopular that position is. Yeah. And... Um, you know that that over time has caused him to have a lot of people who um, have stood against him and who have had is- taken issue with what he's said. Um, but ultimately, in politics, if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. And I think Michael Michael has been one of those rare beasts in the Australian Parliament where doesn't matter what whether you agree with him or disagree with him, you know where Michael stands on an issue. And I think that that. Um, is 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 a really important um, aspect of political life, um, especially now where we're seeing the complete opposite, where people we we where you sort of think and look at many of the political figures around the Western world right now and go, you know, where is this coming from? What principle is guiding you? Um, are you just giving us what we want to hear, or is there something that's actually driving this belief? Um, what principle guides you then? So, if you are successful on May eighteen and become a new member. Um, what are the principles that, that, got, that will guide you in terms of uh, the path that you want to create for the people of McNamara, as it's called now? Well, I think like many people in the labour movement, um, my story is one of migration where, where in Australia we were able to create social mobility through the policies of the Labour Party. My, my grandfather um, left school when he was 14 years old and he went to work as a pastry chef. He took up an apprenticeship um, and, you know, he, he never had the opportunities... Um, that my father and his my, my auntie um, had by by living here in Australia, and I think the principles that guide me in the, in in my time in politics or, or or what I want to achieve is to make sure that we're protecting um, we're protecting that op- that that social mobility that we have in this country that we're protecting um, the access to opportunity in this country, and I think. You know, for the first time, we're seeing a rise in generational inequality in Australia. And if we don't have social democratic movements, um, and if we don't have a situation where the labour movement is countering um, and making it making sure that there is opportunity for people, we're going to lose it, and we're going to become a more Americanized society. Um, and we're seeing it whether it's whether it's becoming you know whether it's the examples of much more expensive university degrees, um, you know the the, the um, universality of, of healthcare being um, withered away. Um, there are a number of different policies where it's becoming less fair in this country, and I think we need to be making sure, as a, as a movement and organisation, that we're constantly guided by the fact that if you're an Australian, then that gives you access to opportunity, and that means that you get a chance to do something and to be something in this country and have that social mobility. And that's something that, unless we protect it, unless we fight for it, it's going to go. In order to do that, you, uh, you'll need to get elected mm. um, and become the representative for this new seat. Um, it's an interesting seat, McNamara, um, a seat known by some as the Bagel Belt because of its large Jewish mm. voting population mm. in the sort of the eastern half, the electorate around Caulfield and the like. Um, but it's quite got quite variable demographics when you look at it. Um, um, you know, it's one of the most wealthiest labour seats in the country um, in terms of income, high transit, rental population in that sort of St Kilda and Albert area. Mm. 
um, Port Melbourne, which was the old working class part of the electorate, now being replaced by AFL players and their wives. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then sort of Albert Park in the middle, sort of the old Greek communities. And then where I used to live for a long, long time in South Bank, with that huge kind of uh, rent uh, apartment lifestyle mm. where there really isn't a community because you don't know anyone. You might no. know one or two people on your floor and that's kind of it, right? Um, how do you communicate to a, 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 in a campaign sense? How do you communicate to that kind of d- diverse demographic set mm. of uh, people? That's, that's a really good question. I only uh, ask a good question, yeah. Josh. It's, it's, it's with some degree of difficulty <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and a, lot of, a lot of hard work. I, I, I think... I think McNamara is t- t- in order to in order to um, communicate with people, you have to understand sort of what what drives them and what what issues motivate them. Um, because I think in order to be able to connect with people, you really have to, to to know where they're coming from. And I think McNamara is one of those places where there's really not one thing that fits all. Um, you have, as you say, some of the extreme wealth. Um, in places like Albert Park, which is possibly the most expensive real estate per square meter in Melbourne. Um, and you know, then you've also got you know a huge public housing population that need protection. You've also got a young, transient population in St Kilda, um, and you've also got obviously you know a large Jewish population. You've got a large LGBTIQ population. Um, overall, I think there are some themes that people have. I think it's quite an ambitious electorate. I think I think people um, on the whole are quite well educated. They're um, driven. They're people who are enjoy living in the in the thrust of the inner city um they've come into this into this area especially in st kilda and port melbourne and south bank and windsor and elwood they're really great places to live they're really vibrant and i think one of the things that we um we're we're talking to people about is about you know people do think about what they want for the country what they want for the society that they live in they are they are thoughtful intelligent ambitious people and so we're talking about about what sort of country are we going to create together, and what sort of um, what sort of society do we want to be creating together, and how are we going to achieve this together, and um, you know how we how we communicate that message. Well, that's that's sort of the art of politics, but um, but it is it is certainly important to be um, to be making sure that we're constantly aligning ourselves with people and listening to people. And yeah, I've, I've been amazed at, at at how many people think about what they want and, and how they want to help shape the world around them and what, that vote, what their vote means for them. Now, whether it's to do with the environment, whether it's to do with schools, whether it's to do with fairness around a whole range of issues, pe- people are thoughtful and people are engaged. And I have found that in McNamara is that people are absolutely engaged in this electorate and they're watching this campaign closely. Uh, you worked uh, in the Premier's office mm. for a number of years uh, with uh, Daniel Andrews. Yep. Um, and uh, just last November, obviously, he was re-elected with a resounding confirmation by the people of Victoria um, with an excellent campaign. What makes Daniel Andrews and his leadership style so successful? Well, so I remember the first time I met, I met the Premier. Um, he was actually the leader of the opposition, and we were at the Caulfield, South Caulfield branch meeting, joint branch meeting, because he's the leader of the opposition. <laughs> oh, a bit of respect. <laughs> <laughs> And and it was at someone's home, bloody freezing night on a Tuesday night, and and he came and spoke. And I remember asking him a question. I'd never never met him before. I'd sort of seen him around, and he he spoke with conviction. He spoke with purpose, and I immediately had a sense that wow, this this like this guy's the real deal. And um, and I think that that when no one else thought that Daniel was going to be the premier that he is. Um, it was clear even at the very first time I met him that he believed it. And he believed that he, um, with hard work and with conviction and with purpose, um, he would get there. And, um, and it, was, it, was, it was clear to everyone who was there that night and everyone who he, um, who he did, who he, he connected with over the first campaign and then obviously over the four years in government. Um, Daniel Andrews is one of the few people who... He didn't build Rome in a day. He he did the hard work over a long period of time, and he um, is a person who believed in himself and who backs himself and who listens to others, but ultimately, um, you know, ultimately stands up for what he believes in, and and he has real authenticity, and I think people people really respect that. 
And that's a key word, I think, in, in, in leadership that you just picked up there. Authenticity. I think people in the electorate are looking for authentic mm. leaders. Mm. Um, and Australians can smell bullshit a mile away. And politics does tend to have a lot of people in there sometimes. Oh, it, yeah, it, the <laughs> healthy, amount of, <laughs> healthy amount of bullshit in politics. Uh, and it attracts those people who are good at bullshitting, you know. Yeah. I remember when I was a young bloke, my mates at school would say, Stephen, you want to get involved in politics because you know how to talk a lot of shit. Mm. And I, it just to annoy me when people would say that. I'd go, well, I'm just... Because well, I'm using maybe long words or I've got opinions that, are, that go beyond who's going to win the footy on the weekend. Mm. Um, but um, Daniel has authenticity. Mm. And I've travelled interstate and when Daniel first got elected, people would say to me, how the hell did Daniel Andrews get elected? Like mm. they look at him and they see you know, this nerdy looking bloke with glasses and you know, he's tall but a bit sort of hunched over and stuff. How, how is that an attractive proposition to the electorate? But people see through that and listen to what he says mm. and I'm about to do his cliche and do what he says. Mm. But he does. He, 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 he's always said, I'm going to do these things mm. and then deliver on that. Mm. Um, and I think that's interesting from a leadership perspective. How much does that influence the way that you want to behave when you get into parliament? I, th- I think one of the things that Daniel also has done and said and convinced people over the time is the reason why he wants the job and why he wanted to be the Premier and why um, he works so hard in politics. And you often hear him use phrases like, and we were given the greatest gift and we were given the ultimate privilege. Mm. And, and you can tell that he, um, he's not there in order to exercise power. He's, in, he's there to um, do things and to get things done and to, to have this, um, to use the job to do, do something. And that's got to be that's got to be a driving force. And I think, to be frank, it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people have underestimated Bill Shorten over a long period of time um, because of the way that they may interact with him in a particular media interview or whatever. Um, but ultimately, Bill understands something that is all that, that, that has always been apparent, and the reason why I think he's had electoral success so far, and why I believe he's going to be the prime minister in only a couple of weeks is because Bill understands a basic principle of politics, is that people, while they have opinions on leadership and personality, ultimately what they care about is what does this politics, um, or what does this election mean for them? And how is this um, political story affecting them and their family and the things that they care about? And for Bill, it's never been about Bill. It's always been about the party, the movement, and getting things, you know, putting forward a plan for for Australians. And I think... Daniel has been able to successfully um, identify that or been able to successfully articulate that politics is about doing things and I think Bill will ultimately um, be successful because it's never been about Bill. It's yeah. always been about what, what's the movement and what's the Labor government going to do for people. Um, you're uh, a young uh, person running in this mm. election. I don't want to say... Uh, I, I, and I, <laughs> Knowing people who have got elected into parliament in the past who are young and d- define young, um, I think they hate it because they don't want to be typecast as being, you know, the young person. Mm. I call it the Natasha Stop the Spoiler Curse. They mm. don't want to be seen as, you know, I'm just the politician for young people. Mm. But you are young. And there are a number of people that are putting their hand up at this election for Labor mm. in winnable, contestable seats that are young. Annika Wells is another one up mm. in Queensland. We Great candidate. organised a fundraiser for you and Annika yep. uh, a while back. Um and I'm actually wondering, are you getting these kind of questions from a media standpoint about your youth and what you bring to the table? I, th- I, think, I think that my age is a real asset in this election. Um, I think that people, um, people certainly... I think, I think this election, people are looking for change. And um, ultimately also I think that young people need a voice in the federal parliament. And I hope that if I am elected that I carry with me um, the views and the opinions and the needs of young people, um, and it's something the labour the labour movement has to be conscious of. It's something the labour the labour party has to constantly be thinking about: is what do young people care about, and what do young people? What do you think they do care about? I think that I think that, like we've never seen before, we have a younger generation who is as connected to environmental issues um, and and the welfare of our planet um, than ever before. Young people are in tune with the needs of, 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 of the environment and, you know, I'm not just sort of the political, you know, big issues we're seeing today. I, I think we're going to see a generational change of more and more young people 
uh, moving away from uh, or moving towards things like plant-based proteins, sustainable farming, um, a sustainable way of, of um, using agriculture. I, I think that, that, that it's going to affect consumer um, patterns. I think it's going to affect the way in which people purchase goods and, and products. Um, I think young people are going to be, you know, we are going, we've got a real opportunity to capitalise on on new industry um, in tune with new generations because, yeah, internationally we're seeing a mass uh, a, a massive changes around the way in which um, younger people and the next generation are purchasing mm. products. Um, but, with, and, you know, that, that can also be extended to things like recycling, the use of plastics, um, what are the footprint that we are leaving behind right now. Um, and I, I um, you know, I, I've been amazed at, at how... Um, how much people, how, how much young people and school kids really care about how we are looking after our environment and how we're looking after our the sustainability of our planet because they know that they're the ones who are going to be here for a long time. So, yep. do you think Labor's doing enough in that respect from a policy setting when it comes to the environment? I, I think Labor has the most ambitious and the most comprehensive environment policy um, in the history of any incoming governments um, to the point where it's going to cause. Um, you know, we're already seeing sort of the start of, of some of the um, the nervousness in the in, in parts of our organisation about how we're going to transition away from it, and I think that that nervousness um, in some of the old industries is really healthy because that's when we're at our best is when we're looking after the welfare of of workers. But ultimately, we are we are going to um, have to confront this, and we are going to have to confront um, moving away from um, an industrial age where we where we have done serious damage to our planet yep. um, to an industrial age where we're, we're thinking about it more con- conscientiously. Um, and the Labor Party has always been um, a movement that's been able to adapt and a movement that's been able to, um, from a policy sense, um, you know, reform our country and make it better. And, and we're going to have to rise to this challenge and we are rising to this challenge right now. Um, do you think that young people's voices are being heard? And I'm wondering, two parts of this question, are, we, are they not being heard because we're not talking to them about the things that are important to them, so they're disengaged, or are we just using the wrong tools? Like, are we talking to them in the wrong way? Like, and the way, social media plays a big role in this as well, because, and it keeps on changing every 20 minutes. Absolutely. And I think, I think that, while, um, that while perhaps there is an engagement on certain issues the attention of people, not just young people, is, is fading and it's becoming more, more transient and more flippant. And to get a, you know, to break through some of the noise, you know, we have so much noise travelling around us right mm. now, to break through it is a really difficult thing, um, which is why I think conversations that we have with people um, is becoming such a powerful political um, or it is a powerful political tool because it sort of breaks that cycle of, you know, if we're relying just on digital and ads and whatever, like people see all of that all the time. Mm. I, think, I think ultimately people still crave a conversation. People yeah. still crave and they trust people when they, have a, when, when they meet them and they, they get a sense of who they are and what it feels like to be around them and what they, what they believe and their passion and all of that. So, yeah... Are you just saying that because I'm here? Because absolutely, I'll say anything because you're here. I'm on your show. Um, no, no, no. I really believe it. I, I mean, you know, some of the most inspiring parts of this campaign has been when you just, you, you know, you, every door you don't know who's behind the door, and some doors you get told, well, "I'm not interested." Have a great day. And some, some people you, you know, what's been your best conversation you've had? Well, one that's walked away and surprised you, and you sort of said, "Huh, hadn't thought about that." There was, uh, I remember there was a, there was a, a small house in Albert Park, I think it was, um, a few months ago, and there was a, it was a pretty frail older lady, and she came to the door, and she's, you know, she said, I, I explained, I said, oh, I'm Josh, I'm the Labor candidate, and she said, you know, I've been, I've been, just wanted to let you know that I not a wealthy person i've been in this house for 40 years it's the only thing i own um, i rely on my franking credits i don't have any kids um it's just me but you need to go away and do this policy and you need to stick with it 
because I believe in what this country has given me and I believe in the movement, I believe in creating opportunity for young people and even though it's going to hurt me a little bit, you need to keep going and you need to stand, stay true and mm. don't forget that there are people out there who care about our society and who care about, about playing our role and doing our bit and it was one of the most simple and inspiring messages of someone who just said, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm here to be a part of a movement of change. I'm here to be a part of making our country a bit fairer. I get it. And even though it's going to hurt me, yep. you need to stay strong. So conversations like that and, and small, small, it stays in your head. You keep going, you keep being, you keep putting in the energy and the effort and yeah, it's, it's, it was encouraging. I went to your campaign launch um, that was at the ESPY uh, a couple of weeks ago. You got the Gershwin Room. Yeah. Very iconic. Yeah, it was a, it was a good night. Yeah, pulled out all stuff. But it was a good night. Over 400 people, it was packed in there. Yeah. Um, now I've been around Melbourne Ports campaigns for a long time. I was the bloody campaign manager in 2004. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't even recall the campaign. Launch. I think it was almost like an efficient chip shop in um, yeah. Elwood or somewhere. Anyway, we didn't have, <laughs> could have been a monarch's case. Michael yeah, it was like. something like that. You know, uh, we did I tell you what, we didn't have four hundred people rock up to that one. Uh, the energy in the room that night was huge. Yeah, and um, and such diversity and so, so many young people. Mm. Um, and my sources on the ground also tell me that um, the, the uh, McNamara campaign from the from the field organising side of things that's one of the biggest volunteer bases mm. in the country. Mm. Um, what um, has been the secret of your success to to, in, to uh, empower so many people to get involved in the campaign and ha- keep them coming back? Because mm. it is so crucial that you have hundreds of people going out and talking to people on the doors every day. I, I if it was just me, I, I, I would not win this election, but it is a team effort. And, um, you know, I, I, I think you use a really important word of, of empower. Um, I've ha- I had a conversation, I've got a core group of campaign people who are, you know, about 15 people who are, you know, putting in a massive effort in this campaign. And I said to them, my role in this campaign is to lead us and to be the candidate. But ultimately, if you're going to be a part of this central team, you need to have one thing and you need to believe that this is your campaign. Um, And this is, you know, that you need to invest in it because this is not my campaign, this is ours. Mm -hmm. And this is our movement's campaign. And we need to do this together. And whatever your role is, whatever whether you're um, whether you're organising our volunteers, whether you're a volunteer, whether you're um, you know doing our media, doing our social media, whatever whatever your role is, or whether you just come in once every couple of weeks, um, I think that. And the thing I've been so proud of people is that people have people have they want to win not because they want you know, me to succeed or whatever. They want to win because we want to win this seat. We know what how important it is for our movement, for our country. Um, and people themselves have put into this campaign and, and um, want to win it for themselves as well. And when you do that, when you have that situation where people buy into it and care about this seat and get to take ownership, well, they put in. And it's been one of the most... Yeah, one of the most amazing things to have people turn up and put in a crazy amount of effort for for our campaign. And if you know, if we if we are successful in a couple of weeks, it will be because of that. It will be because people have made it their own and have owned this campaign. And it's it's great to be a part of it. You are. Uh... I missed the debate that was on a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure you've had heaps of them, but there was one particular We've one. had eight debates in that. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, exactly. I, what is it, when I was in uh, Wellington a couple of years ago, I worked on the Wellington mayoral campaign. Mm. Uh, and they, there was uh, Melbourne Cupfield running, um, and they had debates like every second night. Mm. And by the end of it, I mean, I'll tell you one thing, I knew all the bloody issues that were going on for the people mm. of Wellington, New mm. Zealand. Mm. Uh, but I was like, enough of the debates already, because it was the same bloody questions every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. You're probably sick of it. But in this particular debate, um, your Liberal opponent um, has made uh, headlines on a number of occasions for all the wrong reasons. Um, you know, teachers in private schools are far superior than those in the public sector, she's reported to have said. 
um, that barren leaders lack empathy, Chloe uh, Shorten is a pig, Mm. a whole bunch of things that she said. Uh, but the one that generated discussion was her remarks at this particular debate I'm talking about, which was in, was it in Glen Ira. It was a Glen Ira town hall. Yeah, uh, early in the month, where she questioned your commitment to Zionism because you didn't have a mezuzah on your campaign office door. <laughs> um, baffling that it is. Um, I'm not even going to dignify all of those crazy remarks that she said. Um, at the debate mm. But I, what I do want to ask is Because what, what, a, a genuine question That should have been asked Of both candidates And mm. I guess the question was What do the Zionism mean to you Was, a, was mm. the question that was prompted yeah. From the floor Then she gets up And yells at you That you don't have a decision <laughs> Took a left turn And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> D- Didn't see that coming um, How important is Judaism to you And how does it define who you are a really good question i another good one you're on (laughs) two that's two (laughs) (laughs) um no i i've um all four of my grandparents um are jewish and obviously my parents are jewish and for me judaism and being jewish is something that uh, I, it's inseparable to who I am and I'm proud of my history and of course my family's stories like many migrants, Jewish migrants is that you know there's a portion of it that aren't here today because of the Holocaust and um, and there's this sense of, of determination and, and, and pride and being proud to practice your Judaism wherever you are and Australia has been a place in my in my life where, it's been an amazingly – Michael Damb used to call it the golden Medina, which is like the golden age for, for Jewish people. And this is our home and we've done very, very well here. Um, but it's not something that I – it's not something that I necessarily um, want to mix too much with my politics, but but certainly something that helps define my values of empathy for other people, of – um, thinking about the world, there's a, there's a great phrase in, in Judaism called tikkun olam, which is healing the world or repairing the world, and mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a, a great a great um, it's a great value. And yeah, my family story is inseparable to who I am, and it's led us to Australia, and Australia ultimately has been a place that we've been able to lead a great life, and um, and I think a part of that is is being free to be who we are, where we are, and um, that's something that we'll continue to hold on to. Do you, being free um, to practice your faith or, or just be who you are and where you are, do you mm. think that's becoming harder lately? Like the statistics are showing that there is a rise in anti-Semitism mm. in Australia. Um, does that something, do you find that on a personal level that you've noticed that or certainly experience of others in the community? I hadn't experienced the underbelly of anti-Semitism until I became an, a candidate. Um, there was one, there was one sort of incident where there was a British conspiracy theorist who wanted to come to Australia, and I ran a fairly public campaign to have him have his visa blocked. Who was that? David Ike or right. Ike, a right. British conspiracy theorist yeah. um, who runs a whole range of pretty dark conspiracy theories about about Judaism and about lizards and anyway, whatever. He's he's nuts. Um, And he, and we were successful. In the end, his visa was cancelled and his tour of Australia was cancelled. And a lot of, he he put this video up on YouTube basically blaming me for, you know. Yeah. And his supporters went bananas at me. Right. And yeah, I... And, and Australian people and Australians who, you know, we're talking thousands of pieces of communication where I think we need to be vigilant and there's all, we, we have to rem- remember that there are, there are not just anti-Semitism but there is an underbelly in this country that if we're not um, united in, in keeping, uh, you know, keeping where it belongs, you know, in a completely tight place where it's completely unacceptable to be expressing those views in Australia, then they will get bigger and they will become more emboldened. And I think the trends that we've seen in the recent months and and perhaps years where 
I think that the far right have become more emboldened in Australia and have had grown in confidence. Even this election campaign, we're seeing swastikas drawn on candidates' faces and we're seeing only a few months ago, you know, neo-Nazis um, marching in St Kilda. We're seeing a, a, a federal senator um, using the, the, the really vile politics of discrimination to gain support. Um, I hope that Australians... Um, stand against that at the ballot box and and take action against that, um, but it is it is a it is a growing phenomenon and one that I hope that I isn't a time in my pol- isn't a feature of my time in politics. But if it is, I, I will be standing against it. It's definitely entered the mainstream media discourse. This sort of far right mm. um, um, phenomenon, or whatever you want to call it, um, is it. Is it that it's always just been there, but social media has given them a platform to to be heard, organised? Yeah, yeah. Or are they, or are they on the rise? I mean, I know you probably don't know the answer to that, but what, what's your thoughts on that? Like, sometimes, in, sometimes, no matter what the issue is, the the the, um, the people on the fringes are often the noisiest, and I, I don't believe that the, that those sorts of views represent a majority of people in Australia. I I, I do believe that, you know. I also think our voting system doesn't allow for it, that preferential voting means that if you don't get your first preference, well, you, you, you're likely to get someone who's sort of more amiable to, you know, amiable mm. to you, um, which means that... it forces people to the centre. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's a good thing in Australia and we should be holding on to that, um, that, that, that we have some more moderate politics. But, you know, you can't excuse it. You can't excuse the dog whistling that we've seen from the Conservatives in this country. And... You know, when Peter Dutton says things like Melburnians are too afraid to go out to restaurants because of Sudanese gangs, um, finger-pointing, or when Michael McCormack, the Deputy Prime Minister, says that, you know, rapists and pedophiles are going to be coming to our shores, or, um, you know, when the Liberal and National Senators vote with Pauline Hanson on the Mm. It's OK to be White motion, Mm. or if the Liberal and National Senators shook Fraser Anning's hand after he gave the final solution to Muslim migration speech in the Senate. Like, you can't, you know, or, or even in the last, last week, we're hearing revelations that Neil Erickson is sort of a far-right person who's had associations with, you know, neo-Nazi personalities in Victoria and across the country, um, was involved in Liberal Party campaign events and um, recruitment events and met up with, Andrew Hastie and Ian good enough. I mean, it just, it, it really, you, you, can't, you can't give people a wink and say, it's okay, what you're doing is okay. You know, the Trump, the Trumpian style of there were good people on both sides is just not an acceptable mm. approach in Australian politics. And what I can't get is, though, after the tragic events in Christchurch, mm. uh, in the mosques, there was a real push by the community to... Uh, uh, tell the, the mainstream media uh, you you play a role in this, and there was a couple of articles written by some good journalists saying, you know, we've got to put a hand up and say that we've part not responsible, but mm. we've facilitated mm. this kind of conversation and these kind of views to be to be uh, dis, you know communicated through mainstream media, and we've got to be a bit more mindful about that. And mm. people were kind of looking at Murdoch mm. um, and his um, um, stables. Um, and I kind of thought, oh, maybe we've turned a corner here. Um, and, you know, Facebook came out and said, okay, we're going to change the way that we do editorial and that kind of stuff. So there was actually some change happening. Um, but then I felt like two weeks later, we just went back to how we were going before. Paul and Henson's back on TV again. Yeah. Um, you know, she's doing her morning slots. Um, okay, yeah, one week she got some tough questions from, um, I don't watch morning television, but from some person. Um, can't remember who it is. You know, um, so a whole bunch of questions, and mm. all, all of a sudden she's getting a hard time. So that's great. We're getting, in, we're doing a better job. Pat on the back to the media, but then we go back to just running the same old stories about all these right wing crackpots. It's got well, I, I, not only it's not just the stories. It's also you know we have the deputy prime minister coming out and saying we have got more in line as a national party. We've got more aligned with One Nation than we do with the Labor Correct. Party, and did a deal, a preference deal with them, and openly boasting about well, this is what we've got to do and. And not being called into account for that, you know, and, and he's, from... he's the deputy prime minister. Yeah. Like that's that's Scott Morrison's second high. You know, when Scott Morrison's out of country, out of the country, he's the prime minister. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the media um, 
you know, I mean, it operates in cycles. So it's that's a, you know, it's a story of one day to sort of be reactionary to something like Christchurch, and then does it actually? Do they go back and break their old habit? Well, I, I doubt that very, you know, very much that that, mm. that the media outlets are actually breaking their cycle. But ultimately, this is going to be a big feature of the election. You know, we are seeing, we're seeing um, this will be a pivotal point in in a very. Um, across the country with extreme conservatives is our country um, representative by represented by um, these extreme figures of Tony Abbott and Peter Dutton and even you know to a lesser extent Scott Morrison Michael McCormack as well um, or are we more progressive are we more moderate than that as an, as a country and this this election will be a big test I think Tony Abbott's in a lot of trouble I think I think that that some of the outdated views of the of the old guard in the Conservative Party and the Conservative Liberal Nationals is going to be under fire, and it doesn't matter what the the, the Murdoch press say about it. Um, didn't matter what they said about the, the Victorian State Labor government. People make up their own mind. Do these people represent me? Yeah. And that will be a big test, and we'll know more in a couple of weeks. Uh, we will. Um, before we go, mm. um, I do uh, want to. Uh, talk about NBA mm. just for a moment. Absolutely. Because it's my show and I can do whatever oh, I like. I'm, 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 <laughs> you are in charge. Um, so, I, I, look, I know that you're a very busy man right now. Mm. So you're probably not getting enough, you're not getting a chance to really cover the NBA finals at the moment. Yeah, it's devastating. Um, which is annoying. But the finals do go past March 18, so... You know, after you win, you can maybe oh, yeah. celebrate and watch <laughs> yeah. a couple of games. Yeah, yeah. More than what would come around to my place, man. Um, so we're in the finals right now. Um, my team, the Boston Celtics, are down 2-1 to mm. the Bucks. Off air beforehand, you were like, man, the Bucks, they're a good team. They are. Um, they didn't look so good in game one, I would point out. Now, actually, no, before we talk about the finals, I want to ask you this question. Yeah. Are you one of those NBA fans that just likes players and doesn't pick a team. That's a thing that's happening with the younger generation, and I hate that. Yeah. I absolutely hate that. What is with that? I'll tell you my... What I take is my NBA story was when I was... I mean, I've been a basketball nut, but my... I, I, I was an Orlando fan because of Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. That was when I was a kid. I was like 10 years old. And I've always had a soft spot for the Orlando Magic, and I was pretty devastated when Shaq got <laughs> traded to the Lakers. You know, yeah. like, that didn't do anything. I wasn't a Lakers fan. I was a, I was a, a Penny and Penny Hardway and Shaq kind of guy, kind of guy. Yeah, and I, I had a Penny Guernsey actually, um, still do. Um, <laughs> and Nick Anderson, a few other champions yeah, of that right, team. Okay. All right, yeah, Horace Grant. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> and um, anyway, and then so I never really had a team after that because I don't live in in the states. But I, I that did change. I was thinking about because I've scrimmaged against Dante Exum. Have you? Yeah. Because um, you cool. do ball, don't you? And I can play. You're still playing right now, right? Apart from... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm slower and older and <laughs> yeah. get significantly less far off the ground than I used to. Uh-huh. Could, could you ever dunk? Look, you know, <laughs> it might, maybe one period in my, in my time where I was sort of a 23-year-old, you know, springy uh-huh. character who's in a bit better nick than I am right now. Right. But um, Do you have a hoop at home or anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a pretty good shooter. Right. That, 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 I'm a pretty good shooter. How tall are you? 6'3". Right. Yeah, I, can, I, I can shoot. And I, I've become a better passer in my old age. Yeah. They, used to, they used to say that I, when, I was, when I was under 12, I played um, basketball like a full forward. <laughs> <laughs> I just used to score, just try and score a lot. Yeah. Um, whereas now I, I, I'm, you know, I like to facilitate. You, you need to bring the other four players into the team. Oh, apparently. You know, apparently <laughs> it's not just about me. Although the last game that I played, I haven't played for a few, a few, for a couple of months because of the election. The last game I played was the um, A Reserve final at Melbourne Sports and Aquatic Centre on a Sunday night, uh-huh. and we played against RMIT in the grand final. Right, and I'm not saying I won MVP, <laughs> <laughs> but I may have just taken home the chocolates. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the Premiership A Reserve uh-huh. team at MSAC. Right, um, but did you have a, like a hoop in your bedroom as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little one. Yeah, well, you should just sit, sit there sit and there just and throw just, it yeah. when I, instead of studying. Um, Same. But um, yeah, no. And now, now as an NBA fan, I'm I'm a massive Sixers fan. I, right? Why? Oh, I just think Benny Simmons, the way he plays, is yeah, you know, he can't shoot really, um, no. but he is 
his, the way he sees the court and his ability to facilitate and, and control tempo. One thing in basketball is that people don't... Uh, I think, I think the, the, the great guards, and I've played with a few people who, who have this rare ability to control the tempo of the game. Um, they can either slow the game down or speed it up. And Ben Simmons has that ability to be... He is, he is the most important piece in the Philadelphia um, lineup because he can either push the speed or slow it down or find a, find a player, he is ultimately in control. And I don't, I, you know, the great point guards um, have that ability. Magic had that ability. Stockton had that ability. Steve Nash had that ability. Um, but, you know, many people don't. And mm. Ben Simmons is, is going to be a great of not just Australian basketball. He's already, I think, the best player Australia's ever seen. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's going to be a great of world basketball because of his ability to to control the game and to, to facilitate and control tempo. It is a remarkable story at the moment, the amount of um, Australians playing mm. their trade in the NBA right now. The Boomers are possibly, you know, for, for a long time, the Australian women's team have been the dominant basketball story internationally. They, they, we have an amazing women's basketball program in Australia, some really talented players. But the men's, you know, we're, we're now seeing that sort of compete with soccer. Some of the women's soccer and cricket team are pretty amazing in mm. Australia. Yeah, Matilda's a, Matilda's a yeah, incredible. Well, come, come, they had a good chance in, of winning the damn thing. Incredible. Um, but the boomers now are this is this is a real golden age for Australian basketball. When you look at the depth that we've got um, of serious NBA talent, um, we have probably you know in the top hundred players in the world, we've probably got ten of them, mm. um, which is it's pretty amazing. So um, you know to, to to as a product, basketball in Australia internationally is has never been this good, and our players have never been this good, and. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I think we'll see Australia play America in a gold medal match in the Olympics for the world champs. There's uh, a couple of mates of mine that are school teachers um, say that when the kids are not paying attention and they've got their um, iPads or laptops out, mm. I have not been in the classroom since yeah. I left one. So I don't, <laughs> whatever they do in there, I don't know what happens in there anymore. <laughs> yeah. But evidently, it's a lot more IT savvy than having a, yeah. an Apple IIe yeah, yeah, in the yeah. infotech room. Mm. Um, and he said that when they're not paying attention, they are watching uh, NBA Game Pass. Mm. They've all got that subscription, mm. uh, and, or they've d- downloaded it illegally, mm. uh, and they're all just sitting there watching the NBA. So he said amongst young young blokes uh, it's, it's the schools that he has taught out of the years, he said it's huge. It's massive. It's a great game. Like to play, it's a great game. But yeah, when you've got Joe Ingles, Dante Exum, um, obviously Benny Simmons, um, Aaron Baines, Aaron Baines, Patty Mills is still playing. Patty Mills is a gun. Andrew Bogut, obviously playing yep. with the Golden State Warriors again. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got like you've got Jonah Bolden as well playing um, yep. in the NBA over there. Um, Thon Maker, of course, Matty Delavadova. Yep. Um, like you, you've got you've got international brands. I mean, at the NBA level, these people are their own brand, yeah. and you know they're all worth fifty, sixty million dollars because they're incredible athletes. And yeah, Australian basketball is is thriving right now. What, what, what the um, the league sort of last question? The league in Australia, the the NBL, mm. kind of rebooted. Uh, yeah. a while back, a couple of years ago, and it's become really popular again. I grew up as a young bloke, mm. as a North Melbourne Giants uh, oh, man. fan. I was a, I was a Tigers guy. Oh, were you? <laughs> We're never going to have the same teams, I are hated the Giants. <laughs> um, I actually hated the South East Side Melbourne Spectres more than anyone for some reason. I Who then became the South East Melbourne Magic. Yeah, which technically should be your team. Yeah, I don't think should. they're around anymore anyway. But no, no. Well, the Tigers were based. No, 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 no. No, the Tigers were based out of uh, MSAC, Albert, the uh, old Albert Park. They were. That's true. So they they were rightly as they'd be the team of McNamara. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay, Radio, you're going to be a great politician, Josh. <laughs> Spinning that one. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the NBA, the NBA years ago was huge, and then it kind of just died in the ass there. But it's come back, um, and they're getting huge crowds. Massive. What's been uh, the secret sauce? It's a really good question. So it's actually been pockets around the country. So the Perth brand has always been really, really good. The Perth mm-hmm. Wildcats have always been really good. Um, Adelaide have always had a strong program. The 36ers have been consistent. Yeah. Um, even New Zealand's had a pretty strong following. Mm-hmm. Um, where they lacked were the major markets, were, were Sydney and under the Kings, and then obviously Melbourne. And we'd seen over time a number of different franchises come through and you know, I think people people couldn't get behind 
one team for too long because then it, you know you'd go from the Tigers, the Magic, the Giants, the Dragons, the yeah. Titans were there as well. Yeah. Um, and then a good friend of mine actually was is one of the is the CEO of the Melbourne United franchise, and they sat around and they said, well, you know, obviously the Tigers are the only ones left. We've got a great you know we've got a great youth org- um, program in the in the Tigers, but too many of the old franchises. You know the old Giants supporters and the old Titan supporters. They're not Tigers supporters, no. and they're not going to get behind the Tigers. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, <laughs> your fault. But anyway, <laughs> um, but so what they did, which I think was really clever, and it was a big gamble, was they 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 created this franchise called Melbourne United, and it was an idea to bring in all of the other supporters, mm. and it worked because you know they've obviously a great team. You've got some really good players, Chris Golding, and a few other. Um, a few, you know, Chris Boone and um, Casper Ware, who are legitimately good mm. and exciting basketballers, um, but they 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 unified the Melbourne basketball community, and um, and you know when they start winning and they start becoming exciting, and you're competing with other big franchises, and you got big rivalry, and then you had Andrew Bogut coming to the Kings, Larry Kesselman and the NBL overall just did a great job of creating enthusiasm and energy into yep. a into a national game and. Yeah, Australia's better for it for having a good NBL. Yeah, done well. Uh, one word answer. Who's going to come out of the West for the NBA, NBL, NBA final? Sorry, Golden State Warriors. Right, and out of the East? Much harder. Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> and who will they play in the Eastern Conference Finals? You're going to hate me for saying this. <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks. Radio. Well, we'll see. We will. Josh Burns, thank you for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Best of luck with the remainder of the campaign. Thank you. We're taping this on a Sunday evening. How many days to go? Uh, two, or less than two weeks. Yeah. 13 days. Get knocking. Let's knocking go. those doors, making those We're calls. Do it. Yeah. Good luck. Thanks, mate. Really good, really good to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Cheers. Cheers.